This spring, if you'd rather spend time enjoying your lawn instead of trying to keep it alive, there's good news. True Green is the easiest and most affordable way to get a beautiful lawn. All you have to do is water and mow, and they'll do the rest. Weed control, fertilization, aeration, and even some things you might not even think of. They'll do all of it, while you can do literally anything else. With True Green, you could have your lawn looking as good as a putting green. That's not hyperbole. True Green is the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour. True Green offers a satisfaction guarantee, and they have a verified best price promise, which guarantees you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. You do you. Let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people guaranteed. Paul Violas is a CBS News security consultant, an accomplished author, and a renowned global security and law enforcement expert. With over 35 years of experience, he's dedicated his life to finding solutions for the problems that keep you up at night. This is Security Matters with Paul Violas. Welcome to Security Matters, where we discuss the security matters that matter most to you. I'm Paul Violas, and this is a CBS News Radio production. A big shout out to everybody uh, uh, that hit, has been hitting us up on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Really appreciate all the comments, especially everybody that's been writing into CBS Audio. Uh, go to cbsaudio.com slash podcasts and, and leave a review. Reviews are great, very flattered, very humbled, and I appreciate you taking the time to do that. Also, a shout-out to my cousin Nicole and all of her friends at FSU, and really appreciate you guys listening. Uh, today, on the heels of what we saw in the uh, reprehensible, is the word that comes to mind, videos from New York City and water being thrown on cops, uh, comments coming from communities all over the United States here into the Security Matters room uh, about why that happened, why they didn't use force, comments coming from law enforcement, comments coming from community leaders, back and forth on this, really prompting today's show, today's show being on police use of force, how, why, and when, what dictates it. And believe it or not, when we finish today, you're going to find out that you, the citizen, if police use of force is done correctly, you dictate the amount of force police will use. Joining me today here in the Security Matters studio, uh, someone I consider to be a dear friend from the great state of Pennsylvania. I'm talking about Mr. Bill Young. Bill uh, spent 25 years serving the great state of Pennsylvania with the Pennsylvania State Police, 19 years as a member and eventually commander of the renowned, nationally renowned Pennsylvania State Police Specialty, Special Emergency Response Team. Uh, before retiring in 2013 as the commanding officer of Troop A, where he was in charge of five state police installations in four counties. Bill has served as the vice president of the Pennsylvania Tactical Officers Association and as the tactical command section chair for the National Tactical Officers Association. Bill holds a master's degree in organizational leadership as well as a bachelor's degree in business administration and information systems. He is the graduate of the 245th session of the famed FBI National Academy and has been recognized for his work in law enforcement and security by both the United States Congress and the Pennsylvania House of Representatives. Clearly, we could not have someone more qualified to talk to us on the subject of police use of force than Bill Young. Bill, thanks so much for joining us today. Thanks for having me, Paul. Great to talk to you. Absolutely. Absolutely, brother. Always great to talk to you. We're going to jump right into this, Bill. Uh, and, and what I want to start with is 
I want to start with a benchmark. Now, now you and I both know that there is a very clear use of force matrix as to how police are trained and retrained over and over again how to use force. So before we get into the situational awareness, before we get into the breaking down for our listeners exactly what goes into this when police are responding to a variety of incidents, let's talk about what that use of force matrix is. Okay. So break that down for us. Okay, so the, the matrix is a, uh, an array of force options that police officers can reasonably expect to use during the course of their duties. And it includes everything from their mere presence and their verbal commands or direction and uh, the use of lethal force and everything in between. And the number of options is almost infinite. But uh, generally, we, we break it up into categories. So you have officer presence, verbal commands. We have uh, defensive tactics and open hand techniques. We have a category of less lethal or non-lethal weapons. And then, of course, we have lethal options available to us to affect arrest and to prevent injury or death to other persons. Now, you started out by saying verbal commands. One of the things that I remember before I retired heading a state police academy was teaching officers that the greatest weapon that they had was their mouth. So when you talk about verbal commands, let's start there. If an individual is actually compliant, you said presence and verbal commands. Tell us what that means. Well, you're right. Uh, our, our mouth, our ability to communicate and articulate who we are, why we're there, and even to de-escalate uh, situations at times is our most powerful tool. So our mind and our mouth are our most powerful tool when it comes to responding to any type of situation. But a lot goes into that, the command presence, the ability to control situations and have a situational awareness and articulate to folks why we're there and what we're there for and immediately take control, hopefully, through communications and verbal commands. Unfortunately, sometimes uh, the people don't go with the program, so to speak. Subjects will not comply. And so that's at what point we have to use some other technique or tactic to gain control of situations. So now let's take this up a notch. So an officer is, is trying to, there's a suspicious person standing on the corner. Uh, someone had called in, said that this individual, well, they think this individual is selling drugs from the corner, the street corner. So police, by what you're saying, will approach by doing what they're trained in accordance with the train. They, they, would, they would approach um, this individual just with their presence and with their verbal commands. And that's, that would be their first step. Is that correct? Absolutely. So now if, they, if you were to say to the individual, sir, if you don't mind, I'd appreciate it if you take your hands out of your pockets. The person takes their hands out of their pockets. I'd appreciate it if you step back. He steps back. If this individual is complying with you, then the officer has no reason to do anything other than verbal commands at this point, unless, of course, the situation escalates. Is that accurate? That's absolutely accurate. And really the key is creating a safe environment, not only for the police officer, but for that subject that we're interacting with, as well as the public and citizens that are in the area. So that's the goal here, to create a safe environment. And uh, the first thing you want to do in the uh, event or, or incident that you described there is try to make it safe and creating the uncertainty or the un or eliminating the uncertainty or the unknown by having a person take his hand out of his pocket, because that's something that routinely happens. I don't know what's in that person's pocket. I don't know what their intentions are. So that's the first step towards making the environment safe for us. 
Would you say it's a fair statement, Bill, in, in your incredible career, would you say that it's a fair statement that um, sometimes people, the citizen, can escalate the situation far beyond what the police were intending uh, to respond to? Is that fair? That's, that's fair and accurate, and it happens often. And, and to the same point, and to be completely fair across the lines, there are police that, and I've seen this and I've had to report on it, which is uh, it, it's disdainful, but there are police that will approach that situation and escalate it the moment they get there without ever trying to use verbal commands. And that's correct as well, is it not? Unfortunately, that happens. Okay, so when we start out with the use of force, everyone, I want all our listeners to understand this. Verbal commands and officer presence is that first part of, 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 of the, the police officer's use of force. So if that police officer walks up to that individual and respectfully says, sir or ma'am, I'd appreciate it if you please, for your safety and mine, could you please remove your hands from your, from, from your pockets? Now that, as if I'm sure everyone would agree listening, that that is a polite, respectful way to approach someone. Now, Bill, if that individual says, F you, you know, or a variety of other responses that police are accustomed to, that would mean that they're non-compliant. Is that correct? That would be a non-compliant subject. And then okay. we would have to resort to some other actions. Right. So now let's take this up one notch because we, everyone sees these on TV. So we need to understand not the sound bites, not the video clips, but the totality from start to end. So now in this particular situation, if the individual refuses to take their hands out of their pockets, the part I'm trying to really crystallize for everybody is now this individual in, in what Bill just said, this individual is creating a risk for themselves, for the entire community at large, as well as the police officer. So now by refusing to take their hands out of their pockets, Bill, it's a fair statement that the officer clearly doesn't know what's in or could be in their pockets. So they have to assume that there may be something in that person's pockets that could harm them or someone else. Is that a safe statement? That is, that is safe to say, and, and you used a great word, uh, uh, totality. And the Supreme Court uses this word when police officers are trying to evaluate situations and the appropriateness or reasonableness of their force. And so all the information that officer has going into this situation, everything that's occurred once he encounters the subject, and the lack of compliance or uh, regard for the officer's wishes or commands leads to perhaps another set of uh, options that the, for- the officer might have to apply. So now let's talk use of force here, Bill. So the individual in this particular case has refused to take their hands out of their pockets. They're there on a complaint. They're on a p- potential felony complaint. Now, the officers will, at this point, use what type of force in order to gain control of the situation? Uh, typically, an officer would uh, use some sort of open-hand technique, maybe uh, try to direct the suspect's body in a way that he can see what is in his hands because we train police all the time it's the hands that will kill you so if i don't know what is in this suspect's hands i need to immediately try to identify what it is so some sort of open hand technique to maneuver move the subject figure out what's in his hands and then go from there right and that could be anything from an arm bar and an arm bar is for everybody listening it's where the officer will grab right around the elbow area and then around the wrist area in order to gain compliance, not to hurt the individual, but to control the individual and also provide officer safety. So uh, now let's say, let's, let's take this one step further. Um, the person then breaks away 
from that particular hold and now is becoming physically aggressive, striking the officer and or assaulting the officer. At this point, what level does that take us in the use of force matrix? Well, it's going to escalate for sure. And one of the points I want to make at this point, Paul, is that an equal application of force on the part of an officer with that of a resistant suspect is a loss for the officer. And we teach this to police officers all the time, and the the listeners need to know this. I cannot get in a tie altercation with a suspect. That means I lose. So my force choice, my application of force, has to be greater than that of the resistant subject. So in an instance that you just described, I have to use some sort of, whether it's a defensive tactic, a takedown, a strike, maybe a less lethal force option to get immediate control and get compliance of the suspect. Because the longer that this goes on, the more danger risk that's involved everybody that's involved in this situation no question about it so and and to to crystallize what bill is saying now we're talking about level three or non-lethal force and at this point the officer has tried verbal commands that didn't work they tried you know moderate or limited force by the use of you know controlling the person by trying to gain control of them with just using their hands that didn't work and now they are going to resort to something referred to as impact weapons. Now, what that could be, it could be electronic, like a taser. It could be an asp or an expandable baton. It could be one or a variety of different impact weapons that, will, that the officer is not just allowed, but is taught and, 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 and mandated by best practices to use in order to, quote-unquote, gain control of this situation. So when you see these video clips of the officer opening up this, looks like a long metal pole, but it's called an asp or an expandable baton, that officer is required to use that level of force at this particular time, having the other, the other parts of this scenario already transpired. So, so now, Bill, let's take us to the worst case scenario. Now this individual breaks free and pulls out a gun out of his back, of the back of his pants, and is pointing it at police, responded, and then how did the police respond at that point? Well, um, the response would, appro- would be appropriate to use lethal force at that point, but I, I would like to make another point, and that the police officer does not have to wait for the weapon to be pointed at him to use it lawfully. And I listened to your uh, interview with uh, General Goodrich last week, and he talked about the importance of the ability and willingness to use force preemptively to protect its citizen, our citizenry. The same thing goes for a police force. I don't have to wait for that uh, non-compliant suspect to fire or even point his weapon at me. It's clear from the uh, events that you just described that that person intends to harm me or somebody else. So the use of force preemptively is not only reasonable and lawful in situations like that, but it's tactically sound to do that. So I'm not going to wait for him to point it. When he's been non-compliant, he's resisted, he's fleeing, and now he's pulled out a, uh, a weapon, I'm going to use lethal force to protect me and the other folks in the area. Now, for those of you that don't understand what the rule of law says, and this varies from state to state, but generally speaking, the use of deadly force is justified when the officer feels that there is a reasonable belief of immediate threat of death and or serious bodily injury. Now, there are states in the United States that do not include the quote-unquote serious bodily injury most do but that is where uh a two points built to piggyback on what you were saying so people understand the use of force matrix guide uh, is a guideline it's a framework of how police use force 
But you always have to understand when you see this, police are legally authorized and trained to be able to go one level higher in that matrix than the use of force and the threat that's being presented to them. It's very important you understand that so that when you see things on television, when you see pieces in the news, you will make an educated judgment about what you just saw in lieu of hearing a lot of the rhetoric that goes. Now, I, I want to openly say this, that there is no good cop that supports a bad cop. And good people make mistakes all the time. Cops make mistakes all the time. No question about that. But to understand that how infrequently that actually happens given the amount, the sheer empirical data, the amount of the times that police have to use force to the amount of times that it's excessive, uh, those numbers, there is a gross disparity between those numbers. But so that you understand this, no force, moderate force, non-lethal force, deadly force. Bill, take me through real quick um, before we have to break here. Take, me few, take us all through what you saw on those videos um, of NYPD officers being doused with water and having buckets thrown at them. Take now, using that as an example, what level of, for, what level of threat was, was presented to those officers at that point in time? Well, I'll tell you that the uncertainty and the risk involved with that, uh, certainly in my opinion, and again, I, I have limited knowledge about the incident. I mean, I saw uh, some of the, the clips of the videos, but based on what I saw, those officers were put in an uncertain, dangerous environment by those folks that did not comply with commands, surrounded them, came up to their rear while they were in the performance of their lawful duties. And, uh, and so a level of, four, in my opinion, based on simply the videos that I saw, there should have been Exactly. There should have been some application of force to control that scene and control that environment. Now, the reason why I'm bringing this up, and before we close um, our interview with Bill this morning, the reason I'm bringing this up is for everyone to understand something. What you saw in those video clips is both a direct and a collateral result of where we've come full circle in our country with respect to the directives given by many police departments to their officers with regards to a reluctance of exercising uses of force. In this case, rest assured, ladies and gentlemen, when police are handcuffed and not able to do their job legally, it presents a magnanimous risk to your safety in every community. This broadcast is not saying that it condones excessive uses of force. To the contrary, what we are saying is that there is a very clear parameter of how police can use force and how they cannot use force. And you need to understand that oftentimes your actions, if not all times, your actions can dictate or will dictate the use of force that police doing their lawful duty will have to exercise. Bill, closing question to you to our audience. And, and this, is, this is coming from not just someone who retired as a captain from one of the most well-respected by far, uh, not just state police agencies, but law enforcement agencies in America, that being the Pennsylvania State Police. Having uh, had a brilliant career at NASA as an assistant chief of operations and commander of their emergency response team. 
But more so, Bill, your experience, 25 years of serving communities. With everyone listening right now, whether they're driving in their car, they got their headsets on the train, they're, they're sitting at their computer, wherever they are right now, what would be your message to our national community about our police, how they use force, and your recommendation about how more closely to work with police if they find themselves in some type of interaction with the police? Well, simply, um, and it's not rocket science for sure, number one, listen to what the police officers are telling you. In almost every situation, police officers are going to give you clear and concise commands and directions. Listen to what they're saying and then immediately comply. And it may not make sense to you at the time. You may not know why they're saying it. And it could be anything from a traffic stop to a, an active shooter situation. They will give clear and concise commands. You need to comply. And then lastly, stay calm. A lot of times emotions are involved in any interaction we have police. And we know that when emotions are high, logical thought is low. So it's important that you stay calm. And remember this, this was demonstrated yesterday uh, from all accounts in Gilroy, California. Police officers are warriors that are sworn to uphold the law and to protect you and everybody else in their community. And so you're probably not safer. You're not safer at any time than you are when you're in the pres presence of a police officer who's taken an, an oath to protect you and uh, has dedicated his or her life to protecting people that they don't even know and will run into a gun battle to do so and put themselves at great risk. So I would just leave you with those thoughts about staying calm, listening to police, and know that you're safe in their presence. I think that's great, Bill. Couldn't have said it any better. I want to thank you very much for taking the time and your busy schedule to, uh, to join us today, and hopefully we can get you back on in the very near future. Thank you very much, Paul. Great to talk to you. Thanks, Bill. You've been listening to Security Matters with Paul Violas here on the CBS News Radio Network. We're going to take a quick break. When we come, when we come back, uh, a recap. Stay with me. Now, back to Security Matters with Paul Violas. Welcome back to Security Matters. I'm Paul Violas, and that was Bill Young, retired captain, Pennsylvania State Police, and nationally recognized expert in police tactical operations and use of force. As we close today, I want to leave you with this thought. Sometimes we see things on the news that don't necessarily give us the full picture, and sometimes they do. We have seen far too many examples, uh, I know I have, of police not using the appropriate level of force, by using excessive force, by not properly using verbal commands in order to de-escalate a situation. I want to tell you that, and I will always mean this, the greatest weapon that a police officer has is their mouth. Any law enforcement officer, whether you're talking about police, uh, a correction officer, a parole officer, it doesn't matter. Uh, the greatest weapon is their mouth. You can de-escalate. And this is something that, as Bill said, is the first level of use of force that police have. But that being said, as police have the responsibility to exercise that, so do all citizens when they're encountered by police. And one thing of many that, that resonated with Bill said, and I want, I want to just finish with this, the command may not make sense at that very second. My suggestion is to go along with it. When you comply, the police have absolutely no justification to use any further force. So comply. 
by being combative, by being resistant, by being physically resistant, it escalates the level of force. We have a problem in this country, and there's no question about that. Some of it is promulgated by police that have not properly used the level of force they were legally trained to. There's no question about that. You can't have this conversation without saying that. But I will say that empirically, statistically, that's a fraction, a fraction of what police actually do legally when you compare the amount of times that a police officer, a law enforcement officer in this country will use force as compared to the times that it's excessive. There's just no comparison. So as I leave you today, remember what you see on TV, what you see on the news, may not necessarily be the full picture. And remember the use of force matrix, no force, moderate force, non-lethal force, deadly force. The last thing an officer wants to do, a good cop, the last thing an officer wants to do is escalate that force. They'd rather get out of it without using any force at all. And that's what all good cops want to do as they go to work every day. So the easiest thing for you to do is be compliant and get out of that quickly. For everybody here at Security Matters, we hope you have a wonderful week. Remember, hit us up on cbsaudio.com slash podcast. Please leave us a review because we'd love to know what you think. Have a great week. Be safe, be well. God bless. Thanks for listening to Security Matters with Paul Violas. The podcast is produced by Seth Nyman and CBS News Radio. For more podcasts from CBS News, visit cbsaudio.com slash podcasts. The Hargan women seemed to have it all. We were blessed. My mom was amazing. But detectives would soon discover... Inside the house, there were the bodies of two women. A story of betrayal you would struggle to believe if it wasn't true. I am just praying to God, this is a sick joke. From 48 Hours, this is Blood is Thicker, the Hargan family killings. Listen to Blood is Thicker, the Hargan family killings early and ad-free on the 48 Hours Plus subscription on Apple Podcasts.